Think about what you've taken before. If you've only taken 160s, you're probably going to be really happy with a 190 buck. You probably really are. And, and, and most people are going to say you did that tag justice. Um, but, you know, think about what you want. If you want a 220, but you've only killed a 170, if you get a buck, I guarantee it's probably going to land somewhere in the middle of those two numbers right there. You need to be ready for that. But, you know, make sure in your research and everything, you have an accurate assessment of what's available on the ground, you know, historically in that unit and even that year. The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Good morning, Rock Sliders. Welcome to the Rockcast. Robbie Denning here. It's I and only I today. Looking at the Rockcast schedule, we got lots of good stuff coming up. Looks like Travis Hobbs has done an interview with Dax Magnus, the Wildlife Program Manager for the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. If you like to learn about wildlife management and everything that goes into it, the biology, the sociology, all of it, that'll be a good podcast. Uh, That should be out later this week. Let's see, Ryan, he's recording some podcasts too. Uh, He's been kind of busy between his two favorite pastimes, which are shooting his 6.5 Creedmoor and looking in the mirror. But uh, as he finds time, he'll get us some more podcasts out. He and Dustin Whitwer of Finding Backcountry uh, podcast, they've been hacking on my 270 on Instagram. So turnabout is fair play. Uh, Let's see. If you missed the Tipsy Tuesday from June 13th, go back. It's really good material on making good on really special tags. Uh, Sam did it, and uh, he interviewed uh, Tony Treach, one of our staff members who's hunted all over the West on everything from hard-to-get-draw tags to just regular old tags. And then one of uh, our longtime Rockslide members, which are always a wealth of knowledge, Marine for Life. He, uh, that's his screen name. Uh, he drew a sheep tag. So they go into making good on a tag like that. And that'll take us into today's episode. Uh, That's what I wanted to talk about. Um, It's that time of year when the different states are announcing the lucky recipients of their governor's type tags or super tags, you know, statewide raffles, you know, tags like that. I just call them governor's tags. Um, and I'm, I'm hearing from guys that have got those. I, I always have uh, since those programs uh, came around. Unfortunately, I can't respond to everyone. And just the emotion of drawing one of those kind of tags. I mean, people realize, wow, this is, this is more than a once in a lifetime. And they want to do it right. And uh, boy, in my old scouting business, I used to have, I would find that Oh, it was really hard to work with these guys. Not that they were difficult, but it's just all the emotion of it. They don't want to make any wrong decisions. They want to do it right. And um, 
So it takes a lot of time. And so what I thought was rather than try to respond to each person, I would just do a podcast on it. Everybody can hear my thoughts on it, whether they're they're good or bad. You can be the judge. But, you know, th- this is what I would do is 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 how I look at it. I've never had uh, a tag like that. So, you know, I can only tell you what I would do. That's that that's how I look at this. So um, I don't want anybody to think I'm a guru on it. Like I said, I had a scouting service for 20 years where I helped people. We probably had, I don't know, I probably had five to 10 people contact us that had drawn the tags. Uh, I only ever had maybe two, maybe three actually hire us to to help them. And, And kind of what I learned on that is that they... Their expectations were really, really high, and and I think that just goes with the tag. So a lot of the guys that didn't hire us, it's probably just because I laid it out like, hey, you know, we we can only scout in this area, you know, maybe a unit or two, and, you know, we'll share with you what we got. We're not a trophy locator service, so that kind of, you know, they were looking more for that, and, you know, we were just general information. This is how you hunt the area. This is where you camp. This is what the animals are doing typically at this time, you know, things like that. And so a lot of those guys, you know, didn't hire us and that was fine. But the couple that did, um, one of them killed just a smacker of a bull. I think everybody got their bull. I I never had any buck hunters hire us. And, and I don't, I don't know what, why there was a different dynamic there. Um, I, I don't know, but the but the bull hunters that did, there was a common theme in in their success. Uh, they were willing to trust the information that we gave them, and they were willing to focus. And we'll get into that as we go through the podcast here today. So um, the the other thing too is a, a lot of people are, are you know they're really focused on the where, and you know if you get a governor style tag, you know where is really important. You know you want to you want to hunt the right places, right units, all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know my my specialty is not the where. I I don't want to get into the where with people. It's you know I used to I had a scouting service for years, and that was where I learned that if if you get into the where, as in you know the hot spotting part of it, where to send people, it's pretty in depth if you do it right. You know, uh, a lot of people say I the common phrase I just want to pick your brain. They're just looking for an X on the map, but if you've hunted big animals and you know hunted different states. You, you, you learn fairly quickly there's more than just the X on the map. If you're just going to the X on the map, that's that's just a small part of it, I think, even on a governor-style tag, because people are looking for a special animal on those. You know, they're not going to shoot a 320 bull, most likely, or a 170 buck. You know, they're, they're looking for more than that. So simply an X on a map where you know, three 200 inch bucks have been killed in five years, that, that may not be so helpful. And so I found you had to really get into the, to the how with them. So when you hear me talk about the where, I don't really like to get into the where there's professional uh, research services out there that do that. Um, you know, various ways to, to get that information, uh, go to those guys. They're, they're, they're best at the where I can only really tell you about the how that's what I enjoy. Um, I don't think it, um, I don't think a lot of people really think about it till it's too late, 
you know, I should have done things different. That's a common, common phrase after a hunt. But uh, to me, that's where it's at. And it's what I like to talk about. So I'm happy to dive into the how, but I think the where is best left to professionals like Epic Outdoors, Hunt and Fool. Uh, by the way, they're not sponsors. Uh, they're, they don't even know I'm going to mention them in this podcast, but I'm members of both services. And I think if you get a governor style tag, uh, their consulting services are invaluable because that's really what you need. You need more than an X on a map. You need to know, you know, I, I'm going to talk about the how today, but you need to know the why behind the where, and they're going to know what units are hot, what units are not, you know, they're going to have a lot of information that that's really current. And that's where I would send guys that are, that don't already have their units nailed down and where they want to go. Um, as far as governor's tags, just who offers them? And, and like I said, governor's tags, a catchphrase for, for this style of tag that allows you to hunt either the entire fall, any, any place that hunting is not uh, disallowed, like, you know, maybe a military base range or something like that. You know, there's tags that allow, you know, statewide hunting from a certain date, you know, August 1st through January 1st, something like that. Or they're, they're like Idaho Super Tag or Nevada's Partner in Wildlife Tag that allows you to hunt any open season. So any, anytime there's a season open, you can, you can hunt that. Um, every state does it a little bit differently, but I still call them all governor's tags. Uh, I call them that because it was typically the governors in the states that got these, these programs going or, you know, they signed the bill that allowed them, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, the, some people are against them. I get it. Uh, I'll just say they, they do raise a lot of money for wildlife. And if there's good oversight on how the state is spending that money, I think giving up an animal or two per state is probably a good investment in wildlife if, if the money is spent right on, on things that are going to make a difference for wildlife in the future. But that's, that's another podcast. So uh, the, the, the states that offer them, this is not a complete list, but, you know, Idaho offers their super tag. Uh, they do it for deer, elk, antelope. Um, Colorado's got a, a governor's tag, and I think it's a statewide raffle for the public. Um, and by the way, in these governor's tags, there's, there's typically another tag that, that highest bidder can buy. And that's a lot of times where the controversy comes from. And, and I don't divide this list out into which state offers that and which state doesn't. But uh, there's Arizona Super Big Game Raffle uh, tag. Uh, that allows, boy, I think 365-day hunting. I think so. Uh, that, that's a good one. Uh, I'd mentioned Nevada's uh, PIW tag. They've also got their Silver State tag, which is kind of more governor style, I believe. You can hunt just about anywhere with that one at any time where the PIW, you're restricted to the open seasons. Utah has a statewide conservation permit that allows statewide hunting at some level. So they're out there. That, like, and again, there's other states that have other programs. I didn't, I didn't put everything together in here. But I've heard from people over the years that have had uh, each one of these, especially the Idaho Super Tag, the Colorado Governor's Tag. I've heard from some PIW guys. Um, you know, guys are getting them, and uh, they 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 
give me a call and, and I'm about to tell you what I try to tell people, okay? When I mentioned those guys that hired us through our old scouting business, um, the ones that were successful, and I said that they trusted the information, I think that's why they were successful, what that allowed them to do was focus. That's the first thing I see guys do wrong on these governor-style tags. They lose focus. There's just too much opportunity out there, and they want to experience it all. They've heard about all these draw units for years with special seasons and dreamed about it. And all of a sudden they have a tag that allows them to hunt every one of them. And rightly so, you'd want to experience it. You'd want to fit a lifetime of hunting into that one tag. But sometimes it works out. Sometimes it does. But I'm just telling you, remember on this podcast, this is how I would do it. All right. Those guys that did well with the elk tags, they hunted the one or two units we recommended. They hunted the places we recommended, and that's where they put the time that they had. And they didn't get distracted running all over the state, trying to hit every great unit that's put out a, a great animal in you know the, the recent years. They, they, they focused. And you'll, I'm going to weave this into the whole podcast is, is why that is so important. Um, and if they, they trusted the information, it was easy for them to focus because they didn't get the grass is greener syndrome. Like, hey, you know, I'm looking at a 370 here, but two units over, there might be a 390. So that's where I'm going to go this afternoon or whatever. All right. That, that stuff eats up your time. And again, it can work out. You could drive over there and find that 390. Um, or, you know, talking bucks here, that, that 208 buck, you could drive over there and find him. Um, but I still think that a lot of that is going to work against you. And, and, and so the, the second thing on my list, and this is why I think it works against you, is people don't make an honest assessment of their capabilities in time and finances and energy. And, you know, we all, we all have the same thinking. We get the tag is like, oh, forget the job. You know, the boss is going to have to wait on me, you know. Well, that's fine. Um, but is it real? Are you really going to be able to, to buck the pressure of getting the time that you need? And this is what I would ask you. Do you really need a month or 45 days? I, I would recommend it if you can get it. I really can. I really do. I mean, um, if you can get it, yeah, definitely. You may need all that time. But talking to a lot of guys that have had these, a lot of times they kind of get into that 10 to 20-day range and they're tapping out. Uh, finances, responsibilities at home, it, literally they can't get the time off from their job. And so I can't totally answer this question for you. I just know the trend is most of us overestimate what we're going to be able to do. And the last one I mentioned in there, time, finances, and energy. That's the one that people, it surprises them. It sneaks up on you. Like all of a sudden you realize, I am really burned out. I am burned out. And you just, it's hard to fathom on a tag like that, that you would be burned out. And a lot of times you don't admit it to anybody. But in the back of your mind, you're like, oh man, I got to get up one more day. And oh, I got to go there. Or I'm going to do this. I, I just need a break. And it's hard because on a tag like that, you don't want to take a break. You know, you don't want to miss anything. So all I'm saying is expect to not have as much gumption 
once the newness of the tag wears off, you know, expect that to might maybe sneak up on you. And so I would temper a little bit on that. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to run on, you know, rock stars and coffee and, and energy here. I'm going to run on love for the sport, you know, that, that kind of wanes. And, uh, and that's where focus is super important because if you're focusing, you're getting the most out of each day that you can hunt. And, you know, I mentioned finances in there. It's expensive. It's expensive to be gone from work. Uh, that's why I want you to listen to that podcast with, with Tony Treach and some of the ones that he's done is, you know, he, 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 he's, his biggest expense is his time off work. You know, he can hunt a long time, but he always says it just depends on how much money can you go without. And, you know, if you got a family and you know, other people dependent on you, which most of us do, um, you know, there's a limit on that on how much you can do. So, it's not all doom and gloom, though. That's why I wanted to do this podcast. And that's why I think focus is the great equalizer in that if you can get focused and, you know, get your information in line and make an honest assessment of your true capabilities, you're going to get the most out of every day. And maybe you don't need that 45 days off. If you can do it and you need it, go for it. It probably will. And well, I shouldn't say it will increase the chances of your animals because sometimes, you know, it, it just can take a day. Uh, we'll talk about that more. So, the other thing we, you need to decide right off, right off the bat is, are you going to be pure DIY on it, as in not paying anybody? Because none of us are truly DIY, right? We're always trying to get help from friends and you know things like that. But are you going to go totally DIY, not pay anybody? Uh, beyond, you know, I, I, th I think the research services are a no brainer. I think you got to do that, but I'm talking about a professional outfitter or like what I used to do, you know, scouting public ground for people and just sharing the information. We, you know, we never met the people, we never guided them or anything like that. That was illegal, but you know, just, we would scout, share, share information with them through various media. Back then it was just paper maps. I mean, that's how we did it. Um, now you just push a button on Onyx and, uh, they got the info. Um, but if if you've got the finances to do an outfitter and you're all good with an outfitter, boy, I would highly recommend it. Now, again, you got to do your research. Not every outfitter is going to be cut out for a tag like this. You know, they're they're some outfitters are set up for for you know big camps, groups. They stay right in a certain area, and sometimes those aren't the best tactics for this, this type of tag. So for example, in Idaho, our outfitters here, I'm a licensed outfitter in Idaho. Well, I'm restricted to one unit and I'm restricted to an area in that unit. So I can't, I can't guide anybody outside of that. And so an outfitter may sign you up because, Hey, yeah, I've got what you're looking for, or I've had what you're looking for in the past. But if that week or that time that you've signed up for that, that animal's not there. I mean, this can be a million things, rut, migration, you know, a bad winter year. You just never know. Um, you can't really move. And so, so, at least in Idaho and other states have similar restrictions. And, and sometimes just an honest outfitter will tell you, I, I don't, this is the only place I know. So you got to think through that as well. But, you know, if you find an opportunity with an outfitter that that is in a great area and that should be provable by, you know, past success, uh, even if it's a governor style tag that allows you 365 days of hunting, there's still going to be a certain time to hunt that area. And, and if he's got 
knowledge of that time has taken out animals at that time, that might be a solid bet. But back to this focus thing, that's that you're going to focus on that time. You're going to focus on that opportunity. D- do it. Just put your eggs in that basket. But you're going to probably be able to have a backup plan if that doesn't work out. And, uh, and that can be good, I guess. Uh, you know, the outfitter is going to keep you in that area. Any good outfitter is going to do everything they can to, to make you successful. But if it doesn't work out, at least it's not all over. You can, you can try something else. So your, your plan, plan B is, is, is super important. And maybe you're the kind of guy that could just go all outfitted. You know, maybe you can hire five outfitters. That Do it. <laughs> These are once in a lifetime tags. You know, that's no shame in that. You know, you, even the naysayers against these tags, I think if you handed them one, uh, they'd, they'd be scrambling to do everything they could to make good on it. So make good on it. And if an outfitter can help you with that, you know, do it. Um, if, if you have got an aversion to outfitters, or you're just like, no, man, I want to do it all myself. That's fine. That's all good. I, I don't think you're better or worse. It's just a different way to do it. And, uh, and I had talked about the research services and, uh, that, that's going to be even more important. Um, a lot of the research services too do offer outfitter consultation. Um, Isaiah at Hunt and Fool does it. Epic, Epic Outdoors does it. They'll keep a list of out, reputable outfitters, um, and it's hard to get on that list. Like you know, I've worked with Hunt and Fool for a couple of years before I was able to get on their list. You know, they don't they don't want to be sending their customers to to lame outfitters. That comes back on them. So it's not easy to get on those lists if they're sharing a name with you. That that person has been vetted to some degree, and they're definitely worth a phone call rather than just typing in 200 inch mule deer on Google and, you know, clicking on the first thing that comes up, you know, that may or may not work. Um, probably won't work is my, my gut feeling, but anyways, uh, so forums now everybody knows so you know i'm a part owner and a, a large western hunting forum rock slide obviously this is where the rock cast originates from forums can be helpful too um but you got to do it right and uh i think i got some notes further down here yeah we're going to talk a little bit more about forums um and, and kind of how to navigate that world as well um so you know make sure you've got a solid research service behind you and you know join the forums join the forums early we'll talk about that why in just a minute you know you need to be a participating member of a community if you're expecting to get decent information out of them um and so join early um have a favorite forum that you that you visit regularly and you participate both ways you don't just be a lurker all right nothing worse than being a lurker for five years on a forum and all of a sudden you have a tag like this and you want information nobody even knows who you are you haven't participated you haven't helped so think about that um and then use use all this different information to pick your best unit or two i hesitate to say three but I know there's going to be, you know, reasons to hunt more than a couple of units, but it gets back to that focus thing. And so I want to be real careful on how I construct this because you can get so much on your plate that you don't do a good job anywhere. But pick, piss, pick your best unit or two according to, i got a couple of things here. Can you scout? Many of these tags are going to offer earlier season opportunity you know anywhere from well like arizona's like gosh i think that's year round you can start on august 1st and hunt till the next july but you're going to be able to take advantage of some of these 
times mule deer are vulnerable, which one of them is between about mid-August and mid-September. They're still in velvet for the most part. They're, they're in their summer patterns unless it's heavily hunted area and people are buggering them up pretty bad. They're, they're usually a little more patternable. If you followed my podcast over the years, I, I use that term very loosely because it's still hard to pattern a mule deer, but at least you can kind of expect him to see, to expect to see him around in certain country. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can get your patterns down where he's hitting this, hitting this water hole this day, places where there's not a lot of water that seems to be infect, effective, but a lot of the West has plenty of water. And so, you know, that doesn't work as well, but you know, maybe you've got a pattern of, man, I've seen him in this Canyon three different times in five trips. Oh, that's, that's a pattern right there. You know, that's something to, to put in your notebook and, and focus on. But if you can scout and that's not going to take too much away from your hunting time, definitely do it. But it really just depends on the state. You're probably going to be scouting a place other people are scouting to. And so, you know, there's going to, you're going to be in the better units. I mean, I, I totally recommend that. You're going to see the research services are going to point you that way. And uh, we'll talk about, you know, DIY stuff here in a minute and, and wild goose chases, which can work out sometimes, but you're, you're probably not going to be in some ignored OTC unit where you can go out there and scout and, and you don't see anybody. And so with, with these hard to draw units, they attract the best hunters. They do. And the best outfitters and the most committed people. And they, they attract group hunting and even group scouting. And so one guy has the tag and he's got multiple people scouting for him. And so that's hard to compete against. But if you have a tag like this, you definitely get out there and compete with them. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to discourage it. I'm just trying to help help you be realistic here so you don't get down. But um, scouting those, those units are, are going to be your best opportunity to turn over an, an upper end animal. And, uh, and, if, and if it allows hunting, you know, archery, muzzleloader, rifle, preferably rifle, <laughs> but it just, just depends on the tag. Like if it's a state partnership and wildlife tag for Nevada, you can hunt each weapon type. So if it's, you could hunt the archery season in August. Um, so you'd be restricted to that weapon type. And so you, you got to decide on that. Am I a good archer? Am I capable of that? Where some of the other tags, um, I think Arizona, you could, you can use a rifle in August. And so you got to, you got to kind of take all that into consideration. But if, if you have a tag where you're restricted to that weapon type and it's um, a primitive weapon type, just make an honest assessment of how many days and how much of my finances and how much of my mental energy, which is limited, I promise, am I going to be able to dedicate to this? What's a good investment of that time versus this type of weapon? And I can't answer that for you, but just something to think about. Do I want to spend 20 days on a low success rate archery opportunity where in the, the, that same unit's going to have a rifle rut opportunity? You know, do I want to, do I want to spend a whole 20 days or should I spend seven and save 13 of those days for that rifle hunt? Those are the kind of questions you should be thinking through again, unless you just have unlimited time and energy. But I always meet those guys preseason and this goes back 30 years. Oh, I got seven weeks vacation. Oh, I got, I'm going to hunt here, hunt there. 
and I talked to him after the season, <laughs> for whatever reason, most of the time, those plans did not work out. Either, you know, something happened with the job, home, kids, something. Or if they're honest, and I've had to be honest with myself too, they just ain't got it in them to hang with it that long. So they find an out. And so that's why you want to think about this stuff so much. And that's why focus is so important. And so, but if you can scout and, 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 and pattern some animals, pattern in, in quotes there, then do it. Definitely. You know, that's, that's what I'd be doing. And then if it's not, uh, if it doesn't allow opportunity for that earlier season, August into September, I'd still scout it if you can, uh, but I'm scouting for different reasons for, for tags that are open later, you know, say that run after roughly 10th, 15th of October, because things start to change then in most units, you know, migrations occur, uh, shifts in habitat usage occur that has to do with changing diet, you know, frost, killing plants, and also making other plants more palatable to the mule deer. Now, all this stuff is happening. And so maybe if I'm going to be hunting a tag that's open, you know, mid-October, then I'm only scouting for the logistics. And logistics are huge when you have a governor's tag. Huge. The other underestimated variable in all this besides energy is logistics. is just how much time and, uh, uh, you know, good equipment and all the stuff it's going to take. And, and, you know, coordinating with people and schedules and things like that. And so um, by scouting a unit months ahead and knowing just even the basics, you know, here's the road system. Here's where to camp. Hey, I don't need to camp in this unit, man. I can stay in the in the hotel down the road if your finances allow. There was many years I hunted. Most years I hunted where hotels were not even on the docket. Man, I was I was camping in the truck or by the truck just to save the money. Uh, but if, uh, you know, you're, you've got a governor-style tag, hopefully you've saved up for a rainy day, and uh, that can really increase efficiency. And by scouting, you'll know that. You'll, you'll know that. that hey, it, it, it's going to be worth it to make a deal with this guy at the hotel. And I'm always trying to make deals like, hey, you know, if, if I stay five nights, can I get a better deal? You know, never hurts to ask, you know, but, but things like that. So you know where they're at, you know what their busy season is, you know, things like that. If you're hunting well into the ski season somewhere on late tags, you might find that hotels get pricier. I mean, they're just the different things to ask when you go there. And also just getting a familiarization with the unit increases your confidence and um, it gives you more energy. It's just, you're a stranger in a strange place in the woods. You know, we don't live in the woods. Most of us don't. And, you know, most of the really effective hunters I know, you know, they're not, you know, 24-7 in the woods. Um, they're visitors. And by by having a familiarity with a unit, you're just, you're, you're just, there's not so much dread in getting there. We're going to talk about dread in a little bit. And it, it always surprises people, the dread that comes with hunting. But, you know, if you know, hey, I've been there, this is what to expect. You know, I, I know what the roads look like, you know, things like that. Um, you, you can get your vehicle prepared. It just increases your confidence. Not to, not to even mention all the stuff you figure out about, hey, this is a good place right here where this road ends and or this switchback goes west. Man, I see a lot of hunting ground to the east. It's got the type of habitat I've seen rutting mule deer in. You know, I need to note this. And yeah, you can do that on e-scouting. And I realize some people that draw these tags are located a long ways from them. 
that's all you can do. I get it. That's that's fine. That's part of your your kind of whole your, your energy finance time budget right there. If, if if you're spending too much time outside of the season and it's taken away from opportunities to hunt during the season, maybe that's not so wise either. So definitely e-scout, but there's just something about getting to a unit and being there that just increases your confidence. And something else, local knowledge, it's just best obtained by being there by being a local. I have gotten so many good tips from people over the years and many of them, not even hunters, just simply because I was in the unit looking for deer in July or August or, you know, a week before the season and just talking to people. Don't be shy. Don't hide. If you get a chance to talk to people, try to. Uh, worst, worst that can happen is they don't know anything or they don't want to tell you anything. If they're a hunter, be ready. They're going to be throwing your red herrings left and right because wherever you ran into them is where they want to be too. And they probably don't want you to be there. So take everything they tell you with a grain of salt. But, uh, you know, <laughs> there's no cowboy fixing fence in a unit that I'm hunting. And I, you know, pull up and talk to him. Maybe I help him, whatever. I might get some golden, golden nuggets. Um, I, I pulled up to a cowboy one day and he was docking sheep. If anybody knows what docking sheep is, you know, they're nip, nipping their nutsack and pulling the, uh, pulling the nuts out and they do it when they're lambs and so that they're castrated um well you know this this guy saw me and he thought man here here's a city slicker and so i started asking him about deer and he says yeah i'll help you for a minute can, but can you hold this lamb i said yeah sure now i didn't really know what docking lambs was i mean i kind of did but i'd never seen it before and you know he takes his pocket knife out and he snips that bag and you know i'm thinking oh yeah he's just gonna reach in there with a pair of needle nose and grabs that and you know, or, you know, poke it with his pocket knife and pull it out. My goodness, he went in with his teeth. And he did. I'm not kidding. And he, he pulled that little sack open and he bit that thing with the, his front two teeth and pulled that out. Oh, my gosh. And I, I think he was just trying to shock me. I'm sure he had some needle nose pliers. And then he spit on the ground and he said, let's talk about deer hunting. And, uh, and it was worth it. It was still traumatizing. That was 30 years ago. I can kind of feel the feel the sickness wash over me as I tell that story again. But, but he told me about what to expect in that area. I was in there in, I don't know, July, something like that. Whenever they're docking lamb, somebody would know that. Maybe it was June. And uh, I knew from just five, 10 minutes with this guy what to expect in November uh, for a t an upcoming tag that I had on the migration. Because that's basically what he told me was, you know, you can ex you, you'll never see a deer down here at that time. Uh, he said spring and late fall is when they're here. And boy, he was right. He was right. So always be looking for, for that opportunity, even if it's a, a, a later tag and you're not actually scouting, scouting for bucks. The other thing to consider is distance from other units, other good units that you're going to be hunting. So remember I said, you know, pick one, two or three units, you know, something like that. Consider that distance. Um, Google Earth and flat maps are liars. I can look at a draw unit right now in Idaho put my finger on it and go, that's a good draw unit. But man, this other one over here, you know, I just moved my finger an inch or two across the page. That one's a good one too. I should hit both of those. What you forget is in that inch or two right there, that's a lot of driving that could be spent hunting and a lot of opportunities to be in the truck when you should be out on the hill, i.e. at prime times when mule deer are moving, especially, um, you know, daylight and dark are obvious ones, but even during the rut on a full moon, you know, I've, I've seen the rut just be nothing in the mornings and just hotter than 
pancakes at two o'clock in the afternoon. And so you always want to keep in mind, anytime you spend driving from, you know, paradise unit to paradise unit is time that might have been better just hunkering down in a, a, a one place or, you know, something that's manageable and not wasting all that time. And, you know, that, that, that question's hard to answer, but I, I do know, I know it when I see it and when guys are doing it, you know, they've been in this unit at, on this day and six hours later, they're clearing this unit. I have to sit there and think was, well, when you were in the first unit, if all you were thinking about was the next unit, were you really doing a good job hunting? And and only you can answer that. But if you're just like, hey, I've always got, the grass is always greener over there. I've always got an ace in the hole. I'm just going to go. Sometimes we're not hunting effectively with what's right underneath our feet. So be really careful with that is what I'm saying. And, and uh, you know, a, a lot of my experience has been in Idaho because I live here, you know, and two of our best draw units are, Oh, I don't know, 13 hours apart. And I know guys that have tried to hunt them. Man, that's a whole wasted hunting day, especially if you're hunting the rut in November when there's like, what, nine, 10 hours of daylight. And and yeah, I know you can say, oh, I'm going to drive all night, man. I'm, I'm drinking rock stars. <laughs> I'm just telling you, this stuff wears on you. It really does. So not saying to not jump around, but just, just be careful how you spend your time. Okay. Um, Pick your, your, your best units according to a web of hunters who might be able to help you, okay? Um, friends are the best. They really are. So if you know a friend that lives somewhere um, and, and, and they're, they're willing to help, that and, and maybe the, the unit they have isn't the top, top unit of the state, but it's still a good unit, um, that might level the playing field a little bit because now you have local knowledge. You have somebody that may be able to be out there when you can't. And, uh, you know, maybe he can keep checking on things while, while maybe you're somewhere else. Oh, that's totally helpful. That's golden. In fact, I think that's where it's at is, is if you can get that kind of help. The problem is, and that's why I'm hearing for, from so many guys right now, is people are thinking, well, they think they got to talk to me to get to get the best information. No, I'm just like a lot of guys, man. If I had a one of these super tags, you know, I don't know every unit. In fact, most the, the big draw units, I haven't hunted them either. So I'm going to really be looking for that local knowledge. Is there anybody there? They don't need to be, you know, big buck hunter supreme, but do they have local knowledge that can help me out? And I would be trying to put together uh, a, when I say a web of hunters, I just mean guys that are in the various units that are willing to help. And a lot of guys are willing to help on this type of stuff. They really, I mean, they want to experience it too. They know they're not going to get the tag. And, you know, if you're just pure DIY, you know, I want to be alone. I only hunt in a lo loincloth and with a spear and, you know, I kill my own animals and, you know, I eat them on site. Well, then don't even worry about this step. You know, just go out there and hunt and, and, and have a hoot. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying there are guys out there. They don't, they don't want any help. They just want to do it themselves. That's totally respectable and, uh, and good for them. But most of the guys that get these tags, they're going to, they're going to be leaning on this, this type of information. And I'm just telling you, don't discount local knowledge, but you know, you gotta be, you gotta be careful what you take in. You know, I, I told you about talking to hunters, you know, they'll throw you red herrings. They don't want you there. They want you somewhere else. Um, 
So you got to be careful about that and, and vet vet these people. And if you know them, that all the better. But if you don't know them, you know, just just figure out. You know, are, are you willing to help? Like, I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want you to give me any information you would regret giving me. Um, quit saying I don't want your honey holes. That's a lie. We want everybody's honey holes. And some people are willing to give them to you. But I always just start with something like that. Like, look, I don't want you to tell me anything that you wish you, you hadn't of, you know. But, you know, if you're willing to help, great. And, you know, if you feel like you can spend some time with the guy, um, invite him along. I mean, that's really what they want to do. And uh, find out what they expect from you. Like, do they expect you to never tell anybody, even if you get someone else gets the super tag and calls you? Because they will. They'll find out. And you got to respect that. You got to respect it. You got If they say, no, I'm just helping you. I don't want you to tell anybody. You got to respect that. You got to respect it. Um, it's, it's the unwritten code of the West. And it's been violated so many times. That's why there's so much frustration in, in information sharing right now. Um, so be respectful. Be careful who you go with. Be careful who you listen to. And then the other thing you got to you gotta sort through is don't get distracted with all the incoming information that comes in. There's going to be a lot of people just – some of these, these governor's tags, your name will be published publicly. And people will reach out. And want to help or, you know, want to give you a tip or they want to get involved somehow. Most of them are not nefarious by any means. But there are some guys that are just trying to get their name associated with something like this. And, you know, you might be able to use that to your advantage too. But but protect yourself and be careful because not everybody knows what kind of buck you're looking for. And not everybody – a lot of us don't get a look at big mule deer, so we get fooled. And – just be careful. They, they'll, they'll be, this happens to me all the time, all the time. I will go to a unit and I'll spend three or four days during a hunt. I will run into two or three guys that have seen 200 inch bucks. I'll stay the whole season and I never see one. This happens all the time. I finally decided I'm either the worst hunter in the West or there's a lot of guys that don't know what a 200-inch buck looks like, a truly 200-inch buck. And I really believe it's the latter. They see a big buck. It's bigger than anything they've ever seen, so it's got to be 200. And let's just face it. Some guys are just outright BSers, all right? Just outright bullcrappers. They haven't seen anything. Um, but you got to be careful because the problem with, with having this type of tag is you're going to get all these leads – you got to decide what to follow up on because you won't be able to follow up on them all. You know, there's a 200 over here. There's a 240 over there. You know, Jared saw a, a, a 195 down here. I mean, ugh. and I don't, I, I don't know how to tell you to navigate all that. I just know it when I see it that, you know, if a guy's, if a guy's giving me info that's super too good to be true and there's no picture or no video, that's where I'm going with this. I usually just push back a little bit and say, hey, man, you know, get, get, get me a photo. Even though I've never had a tag like this, I get tips like this. I just always ask people, you know, I, I need to see, I need to see proof. I, you know, I, I need to see a photo, a current photo, time stamped, whatever. Sorry, not not doubting your integrity, but this is a, sp a pretty special opportunity. I got to be careful where I go, and that's what I'm talking about with focus. Because if you don't if you don't pay attention to this stuff, all of a sudden, you know, you spent ten days just running down wild goose chases. Sometimes they work out. I have had them work out. That's the, 
you know, so you can't just totally ignore them, but you, you got to have a good, good filter there. And with everybody running video now and, you know, phone scope, mag view, you know, all the different options that are out there, they should be able to provide, provide proof. And so I would almost say with a tag like this, unless it is a buddy, I totally trust, or, you know, somebody that's a buddy of a buddy with a great reputation and has killed good bucks him or herself. I probably wouldn't go anywhere unless there was a current pitcher. All right. And I, I, I might just have that as my, my, my hard line right there. Okay. All right. We had talked about forums. Okay. On getting information, but, and forums can be okay. But as I said before, you are, you, you need to be a participating member of a forum. To, and this isn't just a pitch for rock slide. There's a lot of other good forums out there where you can get information. Um, you got to be a participating member or you just make people mad when you get on there. You know, the, the average governor's tag holder just thinks, man, this is great. You know, people are going to want to help. I'm just going to go post on this forum. You know, what units would you guys hunt? I've got this tag. And you'll probably get some responses, but I just think there's a better way to do it. And that's why I, I think if you're putting in for governor's tags and these type of tags, and by the way, all this applies to top end draw units that people are drawing every single year that aren't even governor style tags, you know, cause they're just getting the one unit focus is already built in. Um, the, be, be a par participating member of a forum. We invite you to rock slide. We try to keep it as a clean forum and where people can do this kind of stuff, but forums are changing and, and, and we're kind of on the, the, the tip of the spear with this. And what I mean by it is, the, the hot spotting, you know, back when everything was print and snail mail, hot spotting a, a unit, that information moved very slowly. Well, it doesn't now. And the problem with a forum is if somebody posts on there, hey, what are the top units that you, I've got a governor's tag? What are the top units that you would you would recommend I go to? They always have the qualifying line. I don't want your honey holes. Just 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 leave that out. That's like so played. We don't want to hear it anymore. You wouldn't be posting if you didn't want the honey holes. I don't post without wanting the honey holes, you know? Um, and, and, and truth be, in, in a lot of these units, there's only one or two places that are any good anyways. So, you know, you want to find those out. But if you're a contributing member and and then you say, hey, guys, look what I drew, you're just going to automatically get help from people it, it, it through through the forum because they know you're a participating member. They know you're not there to just take. And that's what happens on a forum. And I think it's the beauty of it. I think it's what sets it apart from Facebook and a lot of these other other things that are out there. They are a true community of hunters and people know each other, even though we have weird scream names, you know, like, you know, Head Shooter 2027, you know, pe people still know who that is. Oh, that's, that's, you know, that's Billy that lives over in Western Wyoming. And he's a good dude to, to know if you get a tag over there, whatever. And so by just coming in a forum and just start, you know, spamming the place with, you know, what about this unit? What about this unit? What about this unit? You're either going to get ignored. That used to be the tactic where now you, you almost get lambasted by people, you know? And, uh, and so with Rockslide, just the last couple months, and this was totally just due to complaints from members that were getting their spots blown up all the time. We've started removing unit numbers from posts uh, unless it's just a very well-known rock slider that's posted a lot, because usually those guys don't put a unit number in there. They just, you know, say things like, hey, I'm hunting this, this, you know, anybody want to PM me, you know, private message, direct message behind the scenes. And the problem with leaving a unit number in a, in a thread 
is Google's pretty smart. And, and they'll, if, if people are, are clicking on a thread, and if you want to have a big thread on Rockslide or a popular article in a magazine, just go hotspot. People will read it, I promise you. You want to have a bunch of people listen to your podcast, just go start hotspotting units, all right? Because, you know, people are desperate for information, they'll listen. But the West is shrinking, and so people are kind of pushing back against that now, and you got to be careful with it. If there's no barrier to entry, if it's just a simple Google search to find every top unit in whatever state, um, then that information is out there forever. Um, it just, it, it, it ruins draw odds. It has all kinds of negative impacts where, you know, if, if, if you do it like a gentleman, you participate, you help other people, the information is protected a little bit. There's a, it's somewhat of a barrier to entry. It just helps us all. And, uh, so you gotta be careful on forums. You really do. And, and, and if you haven't been a member of a forum and you draw one of these tags, yeah, you're probably still going to get on there and break all these rules, but I'm just telling you, you're not you're not going to get what you expect most of the time. Um, but if if I was not a member of a forum and I drew a tag, I would still post, but I would be I just don't come don't get on there with a bunch of excuses like, hey, I drew this tag and I wasn't really ready for it, and you know my I don't have that much money, and you know my wife broke her leg and grandma's sick and. I mean, people just see right through that stuff. And, and so don't come across as needy. Don't come across as, hey, I got this tag, this opportunity. I want to make the best of it. And just start sharing your thoughts. Be careful with unit stuff, but just start sharing your thoughts. You know, this is what I'm thinking. This is this is some of the this is some of the logistics I'm able to conquer. You know, I got a four-wheel drive truck or, you know, um, hey, I've only got 10 days vacation. Should I spend it in, you know, September? Should I spend it in November? That kind of stuff usually gets a pretty good response because people don't feel like you're just coming to take, coming to take. And then, excuse me, I'm um, drinking water here. I had a cold the last week. The um, always offer to give, that give. Like, hey, you know, if anybody else... Um, you know, I live in this place or I've hunted this place. If anybody else needs some help, I'm, I'm happy to do it. You know, please PM me. That's what's different on Rockslide now. We're trying to get everybody to do it behind the scenes. And we got people on there all mad about it and everything. They should be able to share whatever. But the vast majority of people are like, thank you. It's such a welcome relief to come on a forum and not have my favorite unit, you know, lamb blasted in the top 10 units every on every thread. You know, that's what ends up happening. And so, but you can, you know, you handle that stuff through, through PM, behind the scenes and everything. And uh, you're probably still going to get a pretty good response, and especially with a governor-style tag because, you know, pe people do want to help. They're really interested in it. Um, we had a guy last year that came on, and he was pretty cool. I think he got a lot of help. And the, but, but the key thing was he didn't just dump us like a, a hot sack of potatoes when he got done with the hunt. He came back. He told us, told us about the hunt, what he learned, advice, some of the advice I'm putting in this podcast here. I mean, he, he, he just continued on where, you know, part of the reason we're, we're clamping down on this, these unit discussions and everything, because these guys get either, you know, governor style tags or just a good draw tag. They come in, they take everything, they take all the information, and then they're gone. And we never hear from them again. Um, and I, I think a lot of times they've they've either killed a giant, they don't want anybody to know about it, or I think more likely they just got their butt handed to them on a plate and they don't want to talk about it. But either way, you know, they took from the or they took from the forum, they took from the from the community, give something back. People want to hear about your hunting story. They want to hear what happened, you know, stuff like that. People are there to learn. I mean, that's 
That's the community that's left in hunting. Let's protect it. Let's be part of it. All right. Let's not just be hotspotters, hotspotters, hotspotters. You know, it's it's ruining hunting. Uh, so so be real careful how you navigate a forum, and you know, be friendly, be willing to help. You know, I've used forums even before Rockslide to 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 get information, but I was always really helpful. There's a whole chapter in my book about it with you know trying to give back. You know, personally meet the people. You know, things like that. Get to know them. You know, things. You know, pe- people are sharing their heart and soul when they're sharing information with you about units and stuff. And so don't don't take it lightly. You know, they you owe them a thank you. Um. And, and again, finally, leaving the forum thing, don't get on there and tell us how awful your life is and, and that, that you are just not able to, to make good on this tag and, you know, somebody has to help you. Sometimes those threads come across that way and it's half, half of us don't even believe you. You know, you're just, you're just needy and, and no, don't get out and work, you know, but nothing wrong with saying, Hey, this is all the vacation I have. I'm raising three kids and everything. You know, people are probably going to help you. But if, if that's your, if that's your strong point of, you know, I'm just, you know, I have no money. I drew this tag. I don't know anything about it. Boy, don't say that, by the way. That really gets people fired up. Hey, I got this tag. I don't know anything about it. I didn't put one ounce of research into it before I drew it. Uh, you're, you're, you're not going to like the response. So, so just be real careful with that. Okay. All right. Um, couple other things too. Now this has kind of all been, you know, pre-hunt stuff that I was talking about and, you know, moving into the hunt. You know what the biggest mistake I see guys make on including this one on the microphone right here? We don't know what we're looking at when we're looking at a big animal or a not so big animal. We um, get ground shrinkage. This is not the tag to get ground shrinkage on. Okay. And I told you a minute ago about how many guys tell me how many 200 inch bucks they've seen. And I'm in the same place they are. And I'm like, I haven't, I haven't seen a 200 inch buck in this unit ever. And you've seen three? You know, they don't know what they're looking at. And they're seeing 170, 180 bucks. And, and, and while on an OTC tag, you're probably not going to have any regrets if you thought he was 185 and you got up there and he's 178. You're probably going to be okay with that. But that is not going to be the energy on this, this type of tag. Okay. So you got to know what you're looking for. Okay. And you need to dive into every video by every good videographer that's ever been out there, you know, filming big bucks, you know, go look at Steve Alderman stuff. He's a friend of mine. You'll get a chance to look at a lot of big bucks. Um, he, he, he and friends harvested some of those bucks. And so you're able to see what they look like on the hoof and then know what they were, uh, later. There's a, a lot of good outfitters out there. Clay Bundy outfitters, go follow him on, on, on Instagram. By the way, none of these guys are sponsors. I'm just giving you some some good resources. Go 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 look at what really big deer look like. All right, and make sure you know what you're looking at. You almost need to do this every day if you've got a tag like this. Every day, look at big bucks and and um, you know talk to hunters that have taken big bucks and try to get try to look at bucks that have you know been been uh, images and photos taken. Uh, while the buck was on the hoof and uh, it's that same buck after it's been harvested and, and scored, you know, get a good feel for it. And only you can decide what you're going to be happy with on this hunt. But I can tell you most of us overestimate the, the whole experience. We think we're going to see two fifties. We think we're going to see two thirties. We think we're going to see two twenties. You're still lucky on these hunts. If you see a 200, and so 
this 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 part's real personal. This depends on each person. You know, if you've taken a bunch of two hundred inch bucks, then maybe maybe that's what you should hold out for. But if you haven't, you just got to decide: Are you going to be okay eating the tag at the end of the year? And you passed up some 190 bucks. If you're okay with that, man, more power to you. Go for it, bro. Go for it, man. That's high level buck hunting right there. But you know, if if you haven't killed a buck like that, you, you gotta you gotta really think that through. And you know, I gotta be careful here because I don't want to talk you into shooting the first 190 buck you see. And that's why all this other stuff I talked about before this with, you know, scouting and research and all that, that should help answer some of that question, those questions on what's really out there. Um and, you know, you, you run the danger of, of, of taking an animal too soon. I, I get all that, but, but you really need to think that stuff through. I mean, it's, it's, it's a touchy subject because it's different with every person, but avoid the 200 or bust thinking is what I'm trying to get at here. If it's 200 or bust, just think what goes into that. If you don't have any 200s, maybe that's not so wise. Um, and if you, you know, some of these right now it's going to be pretty hard to find bucks like that in some of these better units after what just happened with the winter you know we lost we lost a lot of older bucks we know we did you know we lose your seven eight nine year old bucks in there you know at a higher rate you don't lose them all so you just got to be careful just be careful and i can't answer this question for you if i had a governor's tag this year let's just say it was in idaho I'd probably shoot a 200 first one i saw probably unless my scouting just showed me or somebody I trust showed me, hey man, there's a 220 here. <laughs> but you got to be careful with that stuff. You got to be really, really careful, and then you have to think about what's going to be right for you. And then I'll just say this: this I think this will apply to most people that have not killed a, a really big buck. I think this is this is pretty solid advice. Shoot the first really big buck you see. All right, that might go against what 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 you thought I would say. I've had chapters in my first book called The One Thing. The One Thing, the, the, the most important skill, I think, in killing big bucks is passing up smaller bucks. Because if you can't pass up the smaller bucks, you, I know guys that have hunted 40 years and never got a big buck. Because they can't, they can't pass up the 170s. But on a, on a tag like this, you've got you to gotta think that through. And I think for most guys... Unless you are just so okay with eating the tag and I'm into this experience because I want to travel the great state of Utah. I want to look at all their top draw units and I'm okay if I don't get one. And that's a good strategy, by the way. Look at all the top, top draw units. That's probably what the research is going to tell you to do. That's just some, some kid in the desert of Utah says, hey, look what was out behind a horse pasture last week. I got a picture of it here and it's a 225 buck. You know, that can happen. But for mo most guys, I think, if decide on what you want and shoot the first really big buck that you see. Because these seasons go by fast and you just don't know what's going to happen. Your engine might go out of your truck. Your wife might get real sick. I remember having a really good tag here one time. It wasn't such a good tag. It was just snowing like crazy and it was a good opportunity. My wife got the flu and we didn't have anybody to help and we Three little kids at home. I had to come home. You know, there was just nobody to help at that time. You know, this has happened other times too, but you know, mom was ready or, you know, dad was, oh yeah, we, we can help, whatever. But, you know, just, I'm just saying that, it, it, you know, a, a really big buck in your scope 
if you're going to be happy with him, I say shoot him. Unless you got other leads, you know. But don't don't just imagine phantoms showing up later in the hunt. Don't just don't let your imagination run wild. I know a lot of guys that have been disappointed on these hunts, but I also know a lot of guys that shot 190s and they were pretty dang happy because and they you know they're like, hey, it was one of the biggest ones I saw, and you know I was I was running out of time or whatever, you know. Just but but that's the thing. Whatever you shoot, own it. Own it. Man, we get tired of reading on the forums of, well, I shot this buck and, you know, when I walked up, I was pretty bummed and, yeah, he's, he's okay, I guess. Eh, don't do that. You know, you're not doing yourself a favor. You're not doing the animal a favor. You shot it, own it. Um, I've had to accept ground shrinkage before. It's just part of the game. And that's why I think you got to know what you're looking at. You got to know what you're looking at and know what you're looking for. And, but once, once you pull the trigger, just own it. It was a great experience, experience of a lifetime. Um, so think, think about that. And then you can base what is a really big buck by what your research said. All right. And, you know, think about what you've taken before. If you've only taken 160s, you're probably going to be really happy with a 190 buck. You probably really are. And, and, and most people are going to say you did that tag justice. Um, but, you know, think about what you want. If you want a 220, but you've only killed a 170, if you get a buck, I guarantee it's probably going to land somewhere in the middle of those two numbers right there. You need to be ready for that. But, you know, make sure in your research and everything, you have an accurate assessment of what's available on the ground, you know, historically in that unit and even that year. Okay. Onyx Hunt is the number one GPS hunting app in the industry. And one reason they're leading is because they're continually providing updates to the Onyx Hunt app. Updates like the new Onyx in-dash navigation suite. From the time you slide into the seat of your vehicle, viewing Onyx Hunt with CarPlay and Android Auto allows you to easily flow from Onyx to the road in front of you, ensuring you know exactly where you are and how to get where you're heading. Want directions to a certain point in the Onyx Hunt app, but don't want to keep glancing at your phone? Use the Navigate To feature to navigate to your saved waypoints. This is true off-road navigation for hunters. You can now use the Onyx Hunt app hands-free and have access to your map markups, public-private boundaries, routing, offline maps, and more. Do it all from the seat of your truck. If you're ready to make the jump, save 20% by using the code ROCKCAST at checkout. Okay, one thing that people totally underestimate, and I've hinted about this, but let's talk about it a little bit more, is the logistics involved in, in this type of tag, and, and mostly travel. Because you are going to, you know, your research is going to lead you to some of the best units. You're going to be traveling a lot. That's why I recommended just a few units to focus on. Um, you got to have your world in order. Um, I'm even talking about an extra truck available. Uh, my dad's always maintained a four-wheel drive truck over the years chains winches uh you know come along stuff like that <clears throat> they're all set up ready to go i've always leaned on that and i've had to use it before too because you know if it, let's just say this is a rut hunt and the first half of november turns off hot and dry the deer didn't migrate to the winter range and then the 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 last half of november you know the rut really kicks in on the 15th and you know it's starting to snow but then you lose four days of visibility um, because it was snowing but you just know the bucks are piling into the winter range and all of a sudden the sun comes out it's november 19th and it closes the 25th you got six days you cannot be 
screwing around at the tire store. All right. You cannot be screwing around getting your your hub fixed in your truck. You've got to have alternative available. All right. And that's where your web of hunters can help and stuff like that. But don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate how fast the days go by. I know a friend that had a good tag, a late tag a couple of years ago. Truck wouldn't shift into four-wheel drive. It it pretty much sent him home at at some of the better days to hunt. Um Got to think about that stuff. Think about the logistics between hotels and camps and setting up camps. You know, mobile camps are probably what I would recommend unless you've just really honed in on an area in a unit and you can you can stay right there. I'm a horse guy, so, you know, I, I would be throwing that in there too. But I would be real careful about using horses on a hunt like this because horses are for going in, you know, they're slow. You can't cover a lot of ground. They're for going where a lot of people can't and getting animals out. You know, I'd, I'd have to be real careful about 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 that. I have to really think it through on where, where do I want to use it? Because you're not, believe it or not, you're not as mobile. Um, I, I, I'm giving up some of my mobility for the ability to to logistically and effectively hunt an area. That That's where they're for, what, what they're for. So think about that stuff. Um, you know, side-by-sides are popular. Do you need that? Um, and, you know, maybe you're like, man, I can't, I can't go spend, I mean, they good side-by-sides now. My goodness, you can buy a good used truck for side by side. Can't go spend that. Look at some of the rental opportunities that are out there. I see them popping up all over the place now. You could rent a side by side. If you got a good web of hunters, you might be able to rent one from somebody else, you know, and maybe you don't have a lot of cash. Maybe you could trade something out. I don't know, but you know, they're invaluable. They really are. They can help you cover a lot of ground. So, so have that ready too. Um, and then one of the last things you need to prepare yourself mentally. I heard Randy Ulmer talking about this in 2008 at a seminar I went to. And I was scratching my head, like, what's he talking about? The dread of hunting. It sneaks up on you. You you think when you get a tag like this, the last thing you're ever going to do is dread. And what I mean by dread is just this ominous feeling of headed out in the dark or headed hundreds of miles away to, to follow up on a lead. You know, there's there's some dread that goes along with that. It's it it shocks me, and I've had a couple of good draw tags in my life, and that feeling has snuck up on me, and that was why it was good to hear Randy talk about it because he has to overcome that too. And I think the way to overcome it is just expect it's going to happen because the first time you feel it, you'll be like, man, I'm just not cut out for this, and oh man, I man, I bit off more than I can chew, and you know, these aren't things you post on the forum, but they're thoughts that are in your head. Um. If you're ready for those thoughts, you have a chance of of just shaking it off. Like, yeah, yeah, this is part of it. It's hard to hunt alone. And a lot of times you end up alone for whatever reason. Not everybody can be as, you know, have as many days off. They're not as committed. They want to help. But, you know, they're not going to take a week off and go help you. Uh, at least most guys won't. Um, and so you end up alone. You got to be ready for that. And a lot of these tags are going to allow you to be hunting in the rut, which is, you know, Good, good mule deer rut hunting starts about November 10th, I think, in most units north of the Colorado River. And um, you need to be out there then. But those are some of the shortest and most dreariest days of the year. And it, people are affected by that. Believe it or not, you are. You're affected by gray skies and long nights. The nights are brutal, you know. Sun goes down at, at six and it not back up until, I don't know, seven or eight. You know, that's just a long old time to be staring into the dark. And you need to be ready for that, all right? And whatever you got to do to overcome it, take books, take media, you know, what, 
head to town and get a big hamburger and, you know, sit in the, sit in the cafe and talk to a few people. Never know a old cowboy might come up after he's been docking sheep and say, man, we just saw a great big old buck. You know, man, he had stuff hanging down. I thought, I thought he had weeds in his rack. You never know what you're going to hear. And, um, but, but just expect to get down a little bit and do things that'll help charge you up. Okay. Hunting with a friend is the gold standard of it, you know, but for whatever reason, I got a lot of friends. I still end up hunting alone a lot. It's just me and God out there. And, uh, you know, God gives me the strength to keep going, but he often does it through just the social connection. You know, if any of you have followed my films and my books and stuff like that, that's my daddy. And I've always got him on speed dial. And, um, uh, you know, I curse the day that he's not there to answer anymore because he's kept me going many, many times. You're going to need that on a hunt like this. You really are. So expect it. Um, the last thing I'll end this with, shoot, shoot, shoot. You can do that now. And as I've gotten older, I've actually, especially the last couple of years, if you watch my film, I've had some shooting problems and you know i've shot thousands of rounds over the years and i don't know big big bucks fire you up and you know i'm add if you can't tell at times and you know you but shooting shooting every weapon type that, that you're going to be able to take advantage of in this hunt that you you can do that almost every day most of us can and um if you live somewhere you can't go to the range every day man the, i mean i know old guys that used to take a 22 shell and a fired 22 shell and they would just put it in their 22 rifle and they would sit in their living room and point it at a at a safe wall and just sit there and click work on that that t that trigger squeeze um work on the mental aspect of the shot joel turner offers a great class i've never taken it i ran into him at western hunting summit i probably, should probably need to take the time to go do it but man nothing worse than having an opportunity of a lifetime and you bring all this together and you watch a 35-inch buck run over the hill as you sail six shots over his head. That may happen anyways, but l let's make sure if it does, it, it, it's not for lack of practice. All right? So, if I had a governor's tag, that's what I would do. Okay, let's pick up with another chapter of Hunting Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life. Mental and Physical Aspects of Hunting Big Bucks. Hunting for big mule deer is very similar to any competitive sport. The big difference is that you're usually competing with yourself. Like any athletic pursuit, there is the mental game and the physical game to hunting for big mule deer, and you must master both. First, let's tackle the mental side of our mule deer game. The mental, why you have to change to be successful. Because the easy bucks are gone, you can't employ the strategies of yesteryear if you want to put a big mule deer in your freezer and on your wall. You can't hunt like everyone else or you'll get the same results they do, which is pretty dismal. Most states post success rates on bucks around 10 to 20%. If you did the math on big mule deer, I guess it's around 1%, meaning 1% of the hunters are intentionally, key word, think about it, killing big mule deer. To join that 1%, you have to change your thinking. When I get the opportunity to talk with other mule deer hunters, I find that I'm doing things differently, often way differently than the vast majority of hunters out there. I may be hunting many of the same places, but I'm hunting them differently. That is why my results are 99% different from average, and it's not just me. I know several dedicated hunters who kill a big mule deer nearly every year. You can join those ranks if you're willing to open your mind and learn. For some hunters, it's very hard to give up what they've been taught for their entire lives. 
However, unless you're killing big mule deer yearly, you're going to have to change tactics. I grew up with a great hunter as my teacher, my dad. But because mule deer hunting is different now, I had to let go of some of the things I'd learned. You might too. Big mule deer are a subset of the species and behave differently than the rest of the herd. Consequently, they must be hunted differently. Three-year-old and younger bucks are the ones that give mule deer a bad reputation. They rarely go nocturnal during hunting seasons, wander more, like the open country, and stop to look back after being spooked. Consequently, many hunters think mule deer bucks are dumb. Other hunters falsely assume there are only young bucks in the herd because that is all they ever see. Some of these hunters are the ones always calling for limited draws, closing the deer season, and generally making it harder on the rest of us. I started reading and studying trophy mule deer hunters in my late teens, including Walt Prothero of Utah, Ted Riggs of Arizona, Albert Ellis of Wyoming, and at the top of the heap, my friend Kurt Darner. If you know Kurt, author of How to Find Giant Bucks, you'll know he's had his troubles with the law, so I better diverge a bit. I'm very aware of those troubles. I testified at Kurt's sentencing hearing in January 2009 in Grants, New Mexico. You busybodies don't need to send me an email with your theories on what Kurt's done or not done. Done. I know the truth and I know the rumors. That's old news and Kurt has paid his debt to society. Just as this book went to print, Kurt received a conditional discharge from the state of New Mexico. The judge over the case dismissed all original charges after Kurt put in over 2,700 hours of community service and paid heavy fines. Kurt is free to hunt again and return to normal family life and hobbies. I think my friend has learned his lesson. Some have told me it would be suicide to even mention my association with him in my first book. They could be right. However, I'd be lying if I ducked and ran, refusing to admit that much of what I learned about Big Deer in my early years came from Kurt's book and later his friendship. I don't agree or condone or accept some of the things Kurt has done, but I also won't abandon him. He's my friend, and if I ever made a mistake, I hope my friends stick by me. Now back to other hunters I've studied. Dwight Shue and his classic hunting open country mule deer. Francis E. Sells, the deer hunter's guide. Mike Eastman, Randy Ulmer, the best of the day in my opinion. Chuck Adams, David Long, Miles Keller, Larry Benoit and his sons Lanny, Lane, and Shane. And certainly many more I've forgotten. I've learned many things from these men, but the most striking thing I've learned is that they hunt differently than the masses, and consequently they have better success on big deer than the masses. You may have noticed some of those names mentioned are those of whitetail, blacktail, sitka deer hunters, and you'd be right. While mule deer are their own species inhabiting their own habitat, they are still deer, and many of their behaviors are common with the rest of the deer family. For example, reading about Larry Benoit and his son's techniques for tracking big whitetails in the northern tier states, I realized that big mule deer can be tracked in the west using similar techniques, especially during the rut. Francis E. Sell's 1964 book, The Deer Hunter's Guide, focused on blacktails, but I've noticed big mule deer often have the same affinity for heavy cover in the west and the hunting techniques overlap. Chuck Adams' stories on killing world-record Sitka deer showed me that even our northernmost deer can be hunted in open country if hunting pressure is virtually non-existent, just like some of the premium hunts in the West where tag numbers are extremely low. If you're reading this book to up your game on big mule deer, open your mind to the fact that you may have to change your thinking about how they are hunted. Even if you were lucky enough to have been born and raised in the West, you have to accept the fact that you may not really know how to hunt big mule deer. I've hunted them for 37 plus years and feel like I'm just scratching the surface. 
If you're new to mule deer hunting, you actually may have the new dog, new trick advantage over those who've hunted mule deer for a lifetime and are stuck in their ways. Faulty thinking. Let me give you some examples of faulty thinking I find among hunters, thinking that I had to overcome to start killing big mule deer. If I hunt the wilderness, backcountry, and high country, I'll kill a big mule deer. While I prefer the high and lonesome, you have to accept the fact that old bucks in those areas are often the hardest to kill. They are completely undone at the sight, sound, or smell of a human compared with their compadres living closer to civilization. They'll vacate the immediate, immediate country if you spook them and may never come back that season. Older bucks also choose that type of country. It affords them many advantages over their predators. You're their top predator including miles of visibility, steep slopes that are difficult to traverse quietly, air unpolluted by noise where sound carries great distances, finicky thermals, and other factors that make it tough to get close to big mule deer. I find hunters making the mistake of packing in 10 miles, then setting up camp on an open ridge that can be seen for miles around. They talk loudly, stand on the skyline, and let their scent blow into likely country. If they are on horses, they'll separate them, causing the horses to whinny, which can be heard miles away. I've made all those mistakes, and still do sometimes. Backcountry bucks won't put up with that. Just because they live far from civilization doesn't make them easier to hunt. I'd argue it makes it harder. You have to hunt backcountry bucks with all the stealth you can muster. If I could just get on private property, I could kill a big buck. Most private property is covered with roads, easy to access, and gets plenty of pressure from the landowner's friends and family. The landowner usually knows where the best bucks have been killed, so there are a few safe zones. I've been an outfitter for over 13 years, operating solely on private property. I manage hunter numbers tightly and consequently grow a few big mule deer every year. Yet if I let an unguided hunter hunt the ranch, they usually never see the big bucks I've watched all summer, even when I send them to the exact spots where those bucks live. This happens frequently. Sometimes our season wraps up early, leaving me a few days to hunt. I've killed a few big deer, but for the most part, I find the big bucks are hiding in heavy cover and difficult to kill. I must hunt carefully and diligently to kill those older bucks. Hunting well-managed private property is a real treat and can certainly improve your chances at tagging a great buck, but you have to hunt smart and hard, just like in the backcountry. Big mule deer live far from roads. This is related to the first point, but is also faulty thinking. Big mule deer are almost always older than most of the herd. They've had years to learn the area, know where the threats come from, and the best places to hide from predators. They are masters at finding areas where they can survive, part of why I'm personally drawn to them. While on average, age class increases the farther you get from a road, as long as you're still in mule deer country, there are many places close to roads where big mule deer live and thrive. I've killed two of my best Colorado bucks within a half a mile of paved public roads, one on moderately hunted public land and another on moderately hunted private land. Heavy hunting pressure anywhere is just too much for even big bucks to survive in number. In both cases, the bucks had found areas with enough cover, the right thermals, and the visual ability to detect 99% of hunters who might breach their safe zone. I've also scouted countless big bucks living close to civilization in Idaho and Nevada, so I know this is a common behavior among big mule deer. In this day and age where hunting far from roads is in vogue, 
Some bucks spend entire hunting seasons living surprisingly close to roads. To kill big mule deer, you have to hunt a lot where they exist. If you're not willing to hunt all the mule deer country where big bucks live, you're stacking the odds against yourself. If I could just draw a good tag, I'd kill a good buck. Whoa, hold it right there, partner. That is a very big mistake. Hear me out on this one. There are more draw hunts than ever now, and more people applying for those hunts. Many really big deer come from the draw units and end up on the pages of magazines and in every mule deer forum on the internet. Hunters who kill these deer aren't very protective of the information because they know they will probably not get the tag again. Soon everyone knows what unit X is the unit, is the unit to be in. This causes us to think that all the big bucks come from those units and we're less motivated to hunt areas that have fewer big deer and more hunting pressure. Even worse, if you were lucky enough to draw a great tag and kill a great buck, you'll be so disappointed in a lesser unit that you'll likely give up and go elk hunting or golfing rather than grind it out and kill a big mule deer where anyone can hunt, which is more satisfying than killing them on a great unit anyway. If you want to kill a big mule deer, you have to learn to hunt them and the only way to do that is hunt every single year so you can learn everything possible. You will be successful on big mule deer if you learn everything you can. Only then will you be able to take full advantage of a great unit. And when you do draw, as you will be fully prepared to hunt big mule deer. I've killed most of my big bucks in units virtually anyone can hunt. There are big bucks in this unit, so there should be one where I'm hunting. I learned early on and have had several top deer hunters agree that just because you're in the buck country does not mean there's a big buck there. You can hunt smart and hard, but if there isn't a big deer where you're hunting, you won't kill one. You have to know enough mule deer country that you can spend your valuable time hunting where big bucks actually live. This means scouting and hunting enough that you've located individual bucks where you can focus your limited time and energy in those places. Studying Google Earth will surely show you buck honey holes but until Google starts a live satellite feed, God forbid, you will never know if a big mule deer lives there on any given year until you scout and hunt the area. That takes times, time, but is how you can separate yourself from the masses. Most hunters try a place once and then move on if they don't see a freak antlered muley. Once I find good buck country, I check on it often, and sooner or later I find a big mule deer living there. Then I can confidently focus my time and energy on killing him. Some of those places won't hold a big buck for a decade, then BAM, one shows up. That means 9 out of 10 years the place was a bust. I have to keep scouting and hunting hard to find the best bucks. If you don't live close to mule deer country, you can still be successful. You just have to accept the fact that it's going to take longer. But be encouraged. The fun is in the search. And I've met many mule deer hunters who don't live in the West, but who do very well on big mule deer. I find these hunters all have one thing in common. They know their area. So should you. Ponder these thoughts and make sure you're not chronically making these mistakes. Big mule deer are a completely different animal than what you might think. Unless you have already killed three or more big mule deer, you probably have to change your thinking.